Who needs a cup of coffee this morning? My goodness, that's great. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, wow, what an amazing reminder, at least to me, that, that you are the one who gives us all good things. And when we focus on the good things we receive from your hand, everything else kind of falls into place. Wow, you have picked us up. You have turned us around. You've given us a new identity, and you've given us a new purpose in life, and we receive these with gratitude and thanks. Open now our ears and our hearts to hear from you, Lord, that we might receive your word and live in a way that honors you. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I want to remind you, this is a great time if you are a child kindergarten through fifth grade. This is a great time for you to head on out to, uh, to go to Sunday school. You're welcome to stay with us, and you're welcome to head on out. There are some folks in the back who will take you to a place uh, we'll give you an experience that is uh, specifically crafted for you. So we'd love to have you be part of that if you're willing to do that. Good morning, everyone. So good to see you. As, Brent, as uh, Travis was saying, it's great to see folks again, you know, for the first time in a year and to be able to celebrate together. And great to know that one day we'll all be together. But until then, we've got this online option, which is just such a blessing to us. And so we're grateful for all people that God brings our way. I am going to need a little help today, um, and I think that the word went out uh, earlier today, uh, or earlier this week to the kids. I'm going to need some help from the kids uh, for you to think about uh, what your favorite toy might be. And as you think about that favorite toy, I don't know, maybe it's a doll or a stuffed animal or a truck, or maybe it's a special game or Legos or something. Think about what that favorite toy is, and if you have the chance to do it, I mean, some folks who stuck around won't have the chance, but if you have a chance to do it, run out and get that toy and hold on to it, because we're going to use that toy, or you're going to use that toy, uh, about halfway through the sermon to teach all of us a very important truth about God. Well, like many of you, I have been doing a lot of thinking over this last year. So much has gone on, right, you know? There's been two primary uh, trains of thought that I've had. The first has been about God's love. And I've thought about how my response to God's love allows God's life to flow into me without limit. I talked about this very specifically in, uh, on December 27th and on several sermons after that. But there's another train of thought I've had, um, and it can be found in the answer to this question. What would happen if I started to live my life more biblically? What would happen if I, if I began to, uh, to align what I do, what I say, what I think, and what I feel to what the Scripture reveals is true about me? If I put this in the, uh, in the words of Philippians, it would be something like this. What would happen if I truly did allow God's love to abound in me more and more with knowledge and depth of insight? so that you and I would be able to stand firm, one in spirit, one in purpose, contending side by side for the faith of the gospel. What would happen if I conducted myself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ? And what if my motivating emotion for all this was truly love? Not anger, not fear, not willful obedience, but a love that flowed from me because of a response of the love that God has given to me. What would happen, I thought? You know, what, what would happen in my life, in my family, my church, my world, 
if I were to do that? What would happen if we were to do that together? Well, we know that we're in a selection of Philippians where Paul describes what it looks like to imitate Christ. In chapter 2, verse 5, he, he tells that we are supposed to have the same attitude that Christ had. In other words, that we are to, to, with love and humility, put the interest of others ahead of our own. And Paul knows that it's really hard to have this kind of humble love for one another. And so in chapter 2, verse 12, he says that we are to uh, work out our salvation. In other words, let me put it a different way, we are to practice our salvation. We're to practice what, what God intends for us and how we relate to one another with one another, with our families. And then in, in verse 14, he gives us one very specific thing that we can practice together. And this becomes our text for today, chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, the very first part of 16. I've really limited what, what was given me to preach on because I really want to take some time to go deep into this. Uh, 2, 14 through 16a is what they would say. Listen to what Paul says about something specific we're supposed to practice together and why we do it. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. Let me take us apart for us a little bit and just walk through it. Do everything without complaining or arguing. I did a little work on the Greek word behind the word everything. It means everything. <laughs> everything? Yeah, what about politics? Sorry, no grumbling. What about these stupid face coverings we have to wear? No complaining. What about social media? No arguing. What? What's the big deal about complaining and arguing? In what way does, 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 do these things have to do anything with imitating Christ or with building the unity of the body of Christ? Well, a lot, actually. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul says that the experience of the Israelites in the wilderness is given to us as an example and a warning. He says that their story is all about the major gifts God had given them and how they consistently complained about the minor gifts that they didn't yet have. You see, God had given them an identity and a purpose, but their grumbling undercut their identity and it caused them to forget about their purpose. And we know how quickly that kind of grumbling can spread, right? I mean, you think about how the ten spies, they complained and grumbled about the promised land. It's going to be too hard for us to do this. And in no time at all, their complaint and their grumbling went through the entire group of people so that the vast majority of them were no longer willing to trust God. They lost their identity. They forgot about their purpose that God had given. And this is given to us as a warning. And it happens often. We've got all kinds of times to practice this, don't we? I mean, just last Tuesday night. <laughs> it had been a long day. And um, Ann and I, was late at night, about 9.30 at night before Ann and I were finally able to start Michael's bedtime routine and then collect the trash for the morning pickup and do the other things we need to do to shut the house down for the night, right? So I was really tired and I was looking forward to getting to bed as soon as possible. It was going to be later than I wanted to, but it wasn't going to be too late yet. And so I was focused like a laser trying to say, okay, I've got to be as efficient as possible to get everything done on time. So I was going about my tasks and that's when I noticed it, in John's room, 
on the carpet. The unmistakable evidence that our, our elderly dog was not able to get outside to do her business that day at one point in time. A big puddle right there, man. And somewhere down deep inside, my fatigued soul began to have an emotion well up. And I began to grumble and complain about my dog. And as I was grumbling and complaining, it didn't take more than like 30 or 60 seconds before my complaint was just spreading out into other people in the family. And it was adding on. Now it was no longer just the dog. Other things were adding on to the complaint. And it was funny because I was kind of like an out-of-body experience. I'm watching this thing happen. And that's when the Holy Spirit reminded me about the topic of my sermon on Sunday. <laughs> you know? I'm like, oh, great. Yeah, I guess this is a time for me to practice with my family what the Scripture teaches, right? So I know the Bible teaches that my job is not to control my circumstances, right? God is the one who does that. My job is to respond to my circumstances in a way that reflects God's grace, truth, and love, his character in that moment. And so I, 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 I apologized to my family. I said, hey, can we hit the reset button? We do that often in my family. We just rewind five minutes, say, let's practice that one again, you know? Hit the reset button, and we, we added carpet cleaning to the night's activities, and, and we went on, and things were going okay. But that wasn't the end of the story. 30 minutes later, the phone rings. Anne answers the phone. It's my son, Stephen, who lives out in Seattle, where it's three hours earlier. <laughs> and he's not trying to go to bed yet. And he wanted to talk to me. And so here was my opportunity to practice again, wasn't it? To practice again. Will I act like Christ, who put others' interests ahead of his own, or will I begin to complain and grumble? Well, after a brief nonverbal exchange with my wife, you know, one of those things, I, I took the phone, I said, Stephen, great to hear from you, bud. How you doing? And that opened the way to a most beautiful conversation that reminded me of the bigger gifts that God had given. And by the way, it really worked out well. I, I got to bed later than I wanted to, but it wasn't that late. God blessed the time, and it worked out fine. But I was reminded about God's bigger gifts. Do everything without complaining or arguing. The people in the wilderness complained about what they didn't have, and so they failed to recognize what God had already given to them. And, and when we keep our focus on what we have received in Christ, when we re are reminding ourselves about how we are God's children living in his household, adopted into his family with all the rights and privileges, heirs of the promises of God and ambassadors of the hope that God offers the world, when we keep these things in focus and we, we, we do not allow them to sidetrack us into the lesser things, those things that cause us to forget our identity and to forget our purpose, when we're able to do that, everything else falls into place. Now, there's, there's a reason we do this, and it's kind of surprising, so bear with me. We'll get to that reason in a little bit, but let me walk through the text here. The reason we do this is we express Christ's example in this way so that we might become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault, in a crooked and depraved generation. Now, Paul is setting up a contrast here, isn't he? The words blameless and pure, I mean, we talk about that in chapter 1, verse 9, in that opening prayer, that we become blameless and pure. In this particular context, blameless and pure has to do with how we relate to each other, how we relate to each other in specific and how we relate to the world in general. Blameless. There's no griping or bickering or complaining in the body of Christ, in the community of God's people. Pure. Good words are not spoken in one context in public 
and bad words, wrong words spoken in private. Jesus said the mouth speaks from that which fills the heart, right? And our heart is being transformed into brand newness. The Apostle James said, good water, fresh water, and salt water cannot come from the same well. So, in order to be faultless, then, is to live without complaining and arguing. It is to live free from harmful words, harmful attitudes, and harmful actions. It doesn't mean that we we take these things and we stuff them underneath the mattress and say, no, no, they don't really exist. No, we don't do that. What it actually means is that these things are handled in God-honoring ways by people who are being transformed into the likeness of Christ. That likeness is his actions as well as his attitudes. And as I was preparing this uh, message, I, I, I couldn't help but think over and over again of a phrase Paul uses in Romans 12. He says, in as much as it depends upon you, live at peace with all people. Everything? Yeah, everything. All people? Yeah, all people. There's so, so, so much more going on here than just put on a happy face, right? This is about the inner transformation of the heart that is found within God's redeemed people. It is about God's redeemed people displaying to the world the kind of life that God wants all people to know. It's, 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 this, it's this kingdom of God, this realm of God's rule that is real, that is breaking into the world, and some people are able to have that because of the Holy Spirit, because of Christ in them, and they display that to others in the world. We become the front example of what God intends to do for all creation. Now, we know there's going to be some strong dialogue and healthy discussion among us, but the way that it's done and the attitude that motivates it is different from what we see in the world. So so Paul is contrasting what he says is in the body of Christ, in God's heavenly realm, with this thing that is crooked, depraved, and twisted from what God actually intends for people to experience. And we know it's true. I mean, (laughs) in some ways it feels like the world exists to complain and argue, doesn't it? I mean, we got all kinds of things to complain. We can complain about the weather, we can complain uh, about traffic, complain about the online posting. You know, it's just part of our everyday warp and woof in our world. But what would happen? What would happen if people outside the church could see a, a different kind of example? One where a diverse group of people with different thoughts, different views, different attitudes come together in unity, under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You see, we, we don't pursue this unity to be better than those people out there, not at all. We pursue this unity so that the good news of God's inbreaking kingdom has a very clear communication going out as to what that is and what it looks like. He wants that clear communication to go out to the world that he made and the people that he loves. Uh, for me, oftentimes it's easy to slip into an us-them mentality, you know? We are the ones who are pure and blameless, and they out there are the ones who are crooked and depraved. But let's take a moment and think biblically about this. What's God's view of the people who are, quote, out there? Well, let me uh, enter this by introducing you to a friend of mine. This is Pokey Bear. He gets his name because of all of his wonderful polka dots all over his body. 
Pookie Bear was created by my mother some 30 years ago or so, and he has become the favorite toy of all four of our children. Right, Pookie? Yeah, Rob, it's good to be here today. Pookie has had a lot of good conversations with kids. He tells a lot of stories, but that's for another time. So kids, what I'd like you to do now is, if you were able to get your favorite toy, I want you to hold on to your favorite toy, and I'd like you to share with your family of the people right next to you, the answer to this question. This is how you're gonna help me today, answer this question. When your favorite toy is lost, or when your favorite toy is broken, what's the first thing you want someone to help you do? When your toy is lost or broken, what's the first thing you wanna see happen? Go ahead and tell your, tell your family what that is. There are a lot of different answers that could be, but my guess is everybody was answering the same thing. When, when Pokey Bear was lost or dirty or broken or under a pile of books, the first thing every one of my kids wanted help doing was to find the toy and to fix the toy. To find the toy and to fix the toy. And, when, and, 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 and when, you, when, when the toy is lost or broken, are you angry at the toy? No, not usually, not usually angry at the toy. You might be angry at the person that lost the toy or broke the toy, but you're not angry at the toy for the condition that it's in, right? All you want is to see your toy come back into your presence so that you can be with the toy and the toy fixed to be the way it was intended to be. What you feel for your toy when it's lost or broken is very close to what God feels when people don't follow him when people don't recognize him, when they are lost and broken. He's not angry at them. He has compassion on them because he wants to see them returned. He wants to see them found. He wants to see them restored and fixed back to the original design he made for them. And so kids, that's the beautiful thing about God that you've helped us learn today. You've helped to explain it. That God loves us so very much that he wants everyone to be found, that he wants everyone to be fixed, that he wants everyone to be healed into his presence. And so anytime that your, your, your favorite toy is gonna be lost or broken or, or, or needs to be fixed, or your friend's toy, you can remember how much God loves you and how much God loves them. Because he wants you guys to be found, he wants you to be fixed, and he wants you to be in his presence the way that he intended you to be. Pokey, you can go back in there for now, we'll take you home soon, okay? Thanks for coming. <laughs> So kids, thanks for helping us learn that lesson today. That was really good. Truth be told, apart from Jesus, that twisted generation is us, right? So there's no superiority that any of us feel. All there is is a recognition of God's grace given to us, God's grace that flows through us to people around us. Complaints, grumbling, personal attacks, these things are not part of life in God's realm. They're part of life in the earth's realm. And when Christians engage in these sort of things, they lose their distinctive nature, and they end up forgetting the reason God put them here, the reason he redeemed them and what they're to be. See, when it comes to the church, love is what brings us the unity. Humility is what preserves the unity. And our willingness to follow Jesus' way, and in what, what's said in Philippians 2, our willingness to follow Jesus' way is what empowers the unity to become a compelling witness for the reality of a new kingdom come, God's realm, 
coming onto the earth. Now, no matter who it is with, when we handle our disagreements in a God-honorary way, the contrast between how we do it and the, how the world does it is so great that the Apostle Paul says that we shine like stars in the universe as we hold out the word of truth, the word of life to others. Think about stars for a bit. The darker the night, the brighter the stars appear. And when it's really, really dark out, even the dimmest stars, you can begin to see them, begin to shine. Oh, there is one there. Look at that. As I thought about it this week, I can't help but wonder if the increasing darkness that some of us feel may just be God's invitation for his people to begin shining all the more brightly. In Paul's day, stars were navigational aids, right? People used them to find their way that they are supposed to go. If they couldn't see the lights of the stars, they would be lost. They would not be able to find their way. Paul calls us stars that people can see. I wonder if he had a, a guiding thought in his mind when he said that. Because we all know the world produces stars, right? Pop stars, rock stars, sports stars. These, these stars seek to give guidance to people, but their guidance doesn't lead anywhere real. Only those heavenly stars, those stars that are part of the heavenly kingdom, only they have the real privilege of holding out the word of life to a world that needs to know God's love. Now you will notice that in some translations it says that those who hold on to the word of life, others say hold out the word of life, and the Greek allows for both translations. It really means the same thing. The only way the word of life is ever going to impact our lives and change the way we live and allow us to live more biblically, the only way that happens is if we hold on to, we have a firm grip on the word of life, right? The only way we can hold out the word of life is if we have a firm grip on it, because we have to hold on to it to be able to give it away. So for someone to hold out the word of life means they're holding on to the word of life very closely. because It changes the way they live and the way they think. We have to remember that the word of life can never be separated from the life that it brings. For the words we speak about this loving God, these words have to be housed within the context of actions about this loving God. I think Paul is calling on the Philippians and all of us to, to drop our petty differences, to pick up our true calling, and to join him in proclaiming and displaying the transformative power of God's gospel. So complaining turns off the lights, but proclaiming through word and deed turns on the light. And Jesus put it this way in the Sermon on the Mount. You might remember these words. Jesus said, let your light so shine before others that they might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, how can someone know if your good works are from the Father in heaven? It's only because your words explain it. You don't explain it, they, they, they just think you're a nice guy or a nice girl, you know? So the words go alongside of the actions. The words and the actions are combined. Now, some people tend to separate them out and they, they highlight words more or some people highlight actions more, but the scriptures are clear. Both are desperately needed. And unlike the stars that we see at night, you know, I can look at one star and I know that millions of other people are looking at that same star. Unlike the stars that we see at night, the light that you and I share, it's only seen by a handful of people. It's seen by our family, it's seen by some others, but, but it's often seen by the people who are our literal neighbors. The folks next door, across the street, across the backyard fence. 
So with love and compassion, we hold out the word of life to them when we express God's love in tangible ways and waits for the moment when God creates his own space, when he creates God's space, for us to add the words to our actions, because that's when the person is ready to hear those words. Remember Doug Pollock came and talked to us about God's space and waiting for God to make the space and living as Christ would live in the midst of the moment. I know some folks live in the country and your nearest neighbor might be a mile and a half away. Uh, so think about, as, as Doug said, think about the people on your route then, the people that you bump into along the way. Maybe it's the, the cashier at the grocery store, your hairdresser, or somebody else that you see regularly. And practice God's space and practice holding out the word of life to them in that way. Make no mistake, we are bold in what we believe. We will not back down. We will hold it firmly because we know that this word of life is the truth. And so we hold on to it. But at the same time, we're called to be gentle in our witness as we express that truth in love, allowing our actions of love to combine with the words of love so people can see clearly who the God of love is. Actions do speak louder than words. When our actions and our words are at odds, it turns off the light. But when our actions and our words align, that allows the star to shine as Christ's light goes out and penetrates the darkness as he draws all people to himself. Would you please pray with me? Oh, Lord Jesus, what do you have to say to all of us in this? How can, how can we respond to your love that flows into us without limit? We invite you to challenge us in our words, our thoughts, and our emotions, and our actions. Lord, show us where, where we are aligning with you in any of these areas. We give you thanks and praise because it's all about you. And where we still have a ways to go, we ask for your help, Lord. Show us the way. Under the guidance and power of your Spirit, show us how we can practice living biblically with each other and our families and with others who know you. Lord, help us learn how we can live biblically with each other so that we can imitate you in this world. It is not about us, Jesus. It's about you and you living your life through us. It's not I, but Christ through me for your glory alone.